Sub Freaks, it's your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I sat down with Tracy Shukart from Hedge Fund Telemetry, better known, I shouldn't say better known, also known as Chai Girl on Twitter at C H I G I R L. Chai Girl uh, is somebody I've been following for years to get information about the oil and gas markets. Uh, she's been on my finance and economics list for some time, so it was a pleasure to sit down. And speak about Bitcoin uh, and the oil and gas markets with her. Uh, can't wait to do it again. I think we're actually going to have a separate conversation for a podcast we're spinning up for Great American Mining. So be on the lookout for that as well. Um, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. It's a, a nice little back and forth. Brought to you by our good friends at Adams. Adams. We've teamed up with the shoe company freaks, A-T-O-M-S. I know my pronunciation of things is lacking sometimes for many of you freaks so i figured i'd spell it out a-t-o-m-s it's a shoe company with the low time preference individual in mind okay they're building shoes for you freaks that uh, are going to last a while uh, and uh, that's because they form right to your foot they have this foam cushion believe me i wear my pair it's completely broken it's like you're walking on cushions and on top of that they, they have quarter sizes, so instead of getting a 10 and a half, 11, 11 and a half, you can get a 10 and a half, 10 and three quarters, 11, 11, one quarter, 11 and a half. They're getting it so that it fits your foot perfectly, so you're as comfortable as possible. On top of that, they have these elastic shoelaces that allow you to put your shoes on and off without messing up the shoelaces. So you, so you save time not having to tie your shoes with the Adams. It's got microbial copper embedded in it so anybody with smelly feet that apparently that's antimicrobial and it takes away bad smell so you guys with smelly feet out there here's a shoe for you on top of that they allow you to wash your your shoes you can wash the shoes get all the dirt off just air dry them and they're good to go a great return on your investment a shoe for the person with low time preference in mind on top of that they accept bitcoin and lightning i hooked them up with open uh, open node company for their checkout to get to get better Bitcoin payment and Lightning payment processors, processing flow, I guess you could say, for their users. So you can go check that out. When you do, make sure you use the link Adams, A-T-O-M-S dot com slash TFTC. You're going to get a free pair of their dope socks at checkout if you follow that link. Again, that's Adams, A-T-O-M-S dot com slash TFTC. Go check them out. This episode is also brought to you by friends at the Cash App. You already know all about them. If you don't know know about them, let me tell you. They're helping to stack sats. Stack sats, send sats, sell sats, receive sats. Sats are the standard. Getting rid of that unit bias. We're no longer buying fractions of Bitcoin. We're buying whole sats. Uh, they've got a sats back boost. Uh, and on top of that, they have uh, the ability to DCA into sats. If you want to set it and forget it, just throw a chunk in every week, every two weeks, uh, every day. You can, you can do that on the Cash App as well. You can dollar cost average in, set it, and forget it. If you haven't done so already, you can go download the Cash App. And when you do use the code stacking stats, it's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10. $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. <laughs> Owls Lacrosse. <laughs> Check it out. If you guys are new to this podcast, I hope you enjoy it. Welcome. I know uh, I've had a lot of people reaching out in DMs saying that they're they're new to TFTC. Whether you found us uh, from Barstool, from Fifty One Strokes, or the Yak, or 
just through the grapevine, welcome to Tales from the Crypt. Welcome, freaks. I hope you guys are liking the content. If you are, make sure you subscribe. Give us a rating and review. It helps us uh, get uh, get noticed on these platforms. That's something we're trying to do. We're trying to get good quality Bitcoin information out there. So if you freaks are new to TFTC, I recommend you put your helmets on, keep your hands inside the vehicles, enjoy the ride, and let Bitcoin do its thing. Take care. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy, Marty Bent, here. Where is it? Tuesday afternoon. Mid-Tuesday afternoon, 2021. Very excited for this conversation. I have somebody on the podcast who I've been following on Twitter for quite some time. Is an OG on my finance and economics list and somebody who I follow to keep in touch with oil markets, particularly. Uh, I'd like to introduce you, freaks, to Tracy Shukart. Hey, okay. guys. AKA Shy Girl on uh, on Twitter, Shy Girl. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. I know we uh, talked about this last month, so glad we were able to get this together. Let's see how this goes. <laughs> no, I am as well. Um, particularly again, because I've been following you for so long. And I think as we discussed last night, we had a little pre podcast call last night just to talk about a few things. I think the, uh, the intersection of Bitcoin, particularly Bitcoin mining in the energy sector is going to be a growing theme this year and the years to come. And you're somebody who I've trusted for for oil and gas knowledge um, for some time now. So I'd love to get your perspective on that. But before we even dive into oil markets as they may pertain to Bitcoin at some point in the future, I'm just really interested to get a better understanding of your background. I know you were um, on CBOT at one point, the Chicago Board of Trade. You You've delved in, in futures markets uh, and managed futures, which is a background um, that I have as well, working for a managed futures fund in Chicago for a bit. So I think we could use this episode to help educate people about um, sort of the commodities markets, oil markets specifically, and then and then we can jump into Bitcoin from there. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, yeah, yeah. I started really, I started, I started in this industry actually in a boiler room, like calling like 400 people a day saying, you want to buy some options? <laughs> so really that's how I got my start and then kind of moved my way up from there. I worked on the floor, managed to trade desk on the floor, um, which was, you know, a great experience. It was really cool, really exciting, literally like everything you see in the movies. Um, but I was kind of there on the tail end. And then I went, moved on kind of, for myself and then I've worked at a family office um, and now I'm a strategist at hedge fund telemetry um, and then I you know, I also trade myself and uh, still work for a family office so I've kind of run the gamut in in this industry from uh, grunt to something a little 
little bit <laughs> better than that. Yeah. So how, how much has it changed since you've been in? Cause I remember working uh, on West Jackson yeah. street and having uh, old pit traders telling war stories about, about trading in the pits in the, in the eighties and nineties and uh, talking about how, how much of a shame it was that the, the pit got replaced by a bunch by a server farm essentially. Yeah. Um, the, the dynamics of, of this commodities markets have changed significantly over the last few decades. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've gone, you know, it's, you know, kind of saw that gradual change where you went from, you know, an analog system basically um, to, you know, a computerized system um, all the way to now you have, you know, automated systems and, um, you know, HFTs like Citadel and things like that. So it's really kind of uh, progressed a lot really within the last, you know, um, you know, 10, 15 years. Um just kind of technologies accelerated that that whole vibe. Yeah, yeah. And you're going from sending uh, hand signals on the floor to to laser right. beams across. The okay. <laughs> right to like you know how's the, what's the fastest nanosecond we can get information to the exchange so we can get in front of everybody else. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's crazy how much it's it, like how quickly it went from completely. Uh, manual human to human interaction to, to this highly digitized world. And um, yeah, no, it was, it was fun hearing the pit traders talk nostalgically about, about bullshitting in the pit and making a ton of money in the process. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> and that's what they, when I, when I worked in Chicago, like I always thought, and I was reading about Bitcoin too. I always thought um, particularly the managed futures folks would hatch on the Bitcoin pretty quickly because it's like often referred to as a digital commodity and people tend to approach it with a a lot of people not every not everybody but a lot of people tend to approach it with the long-term trend following mindset especially if you have a time horizon bigger than four years a lot of bitcoiners think that if you're holding over a four-year period you'll be pretty well off and so i thought like the trend following uh very risk averse managed futures crowd would, would sort of jump into bitcoin uh, or be some of the first to, but CME has the futures contract, but, um, I, you know, I think a lot of that's just a lot of it is due to regulation people, you know, the, and, um, kind of the lack of products available. I mean, a lot more are on the market now, right. And there's a lot more funds that are doing this, like, you know, like USCO and people like that, that, you know, have started those funds, but really, you know, there was a, and that's, you know, a large buy-in. So, you know, I think it's just really, there's a lack of products out there, you know, derivative products, ETFs, things like that. And I think people really um, on that side, on the managed future side, kind of worried about uh, regulatory issues because, you know, the NFA is very strict. So, yeah. I'm going to turn it because that's how a lot of managed futures funds market themselves, right? Is, is portfolio insurance. It'll be the right. part of your, your allocation that, that performs well when things go to shit. And that's Bitcoin has been described as that is a cent, central bank incompetence insurance. Um, the yeah. Asymmetric or possible returns. Uh, yeah. You just mentioned many reasons why it probably wasn't the case regulatory being the main, but it always my mind sitting at a, as an analyst at a managed futures fund and thinking about Bitcoin as like, it's like the two go together, like PB and J. That's true. Maybe we're, we'll give somebody some ideas out there. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, but right. 
Yeah. So we're here to talk mainly about oil and gas and then maybe some Bitcoin at the end. And then, so that's one thing we've been covering uh, over the course of this year pretty loosely, not as much as we were uh, in early to mid 2020, but the the crash in oil prices in March of last year um, <laughs> to the point where the May futures contract traded negatively for for some time. Uh, and I guess, if anything, that, that particular event highlighted uh, the control that maybe the Saudis and the Russians have over the oil markets and, and how um, fragile the shale industry was here, how maybe spread thin is probably a better word, especially financially. Um, and so we haven't, we, we covered what happened when it happened, um, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty aggressively for, for a month or two, but we really haven't touched on what's going on in the oil and gas markets in, in quite some time. So I, I'd love to get your perspective on, on where they are, um, particularly here in the United States and what it looks, what the market looks like moving forward, um, especially in the context of OPEC plus. Right. Well, um, you know, I mean, kind of leading up to that whole fiasco, right? Um, we already were seeing, you know, problems within the shale industry, financially speaking. Um, you know, there were already a lot of companies, there were already mismanagement. I mean, it was kind of like when shale first started, right? Um, you know, they were throwing a bunch of money. It was the newest thing. Here you go. All the banks wanted to give them money, right? And then we had that oil crash. That 2014-16 oil crash, banks got a little, you know, skeptical. Um, so then they had to kind of go into the private equity. Private equity was like, yeah, it's great. You know, we have all this money. They had all this money at that at that time. Nobody was, you know, really, you know, because it was after the 2008 GFC. Nobody was, you know, they had a ton of money in private equity. Um, and then we had this just happen. Um, so now, you know, they're people are a little bit more, they don't have so many options as uh, people trying to throw them a lifeline anymore, right? So that's where we started to see after this, um, a lot of mergers and acquisitions, a lot of companies that disappeared entirely. Um, and even though that was sort of coming down in the pipeline eventually, I, I was talking about this last December, that that's what we would probably see that this year in that industry. Um, but obviously the oil price crash, you know, kind of sped up that timeline <laughs> a lot. So where we are now is, you know, um, looking forward into the market. I mean, I think we'll still have some warmer positions. Um, the production, production has come way off in 2019 at the height in December. We were at 13.5 million barrels a day. Um, we're down to about 11. And we probably won't see 13.5 million, you know, I would say ever, literally. <laughs> um, so just because of um, the lack of CapEx that's come along, right? Because all these companies were told, you, you know, we're not, no. Nobody wants to give these people money unless they actually have a plan. Right? There's been a ton of um, CapEx cuts, and that's happened actually across the last two years, but really this year, um, incredibly. Um, and then and because they had to shut down so much production quickly, right, in May after the price uh, crashes, um, you know, a lot of those wells 
they're just not going to start up again because they're just not profitable, right? They're only going for their profitable wells. So old, older wells that were nearing the end of their lifetime, um, those will never get tapped again. They'll, they'll just be shut off. So you're having, and in the shale industry, you have to constantly be drilling because they don't have, you know, uh, 10, 20, 30 year lifetime that say deep oil uh, wells have. So you have to constantly be six months ahead of yourself just to have consistent production going on. Um, so that's that's pretty much gone. Um, and then you add in decline rates of existing wells and things of that nature, then really you're looking at we're never getting back there again. We'll probably see <laughs> we'll probably see consistent decline yearly declines, actually. You know. Interesting. Yeah, it's and so touched on a couple things here and actually one thing we like to focus on a lot uh, here at tftc is the misallocation of capital that easy access to money via right. central bank policy has has created in the shale industry is is a perfect example of that you, you touched on it a bit in the beginning of your explanation right there but i think we should expand on on this particularly right because i remember actually in 2016 2017 working at a third-party valuations firm looking at PE portfolios, particularly some with, with some oil assets, and yeah, seeing some of these oil and gas companies take out hundred million dollar pick loans at like seventeen percent, basically right. projecting that the price of oil would sustain itself above eighty dollars a, a barrel um, as, as sort of contingent in in getting that money in the first place was just like even then in 2015, 2016, it's like what are these people thinking like? 2016 2017 like the price of oil is never going to be over exactly like it is over 80 dollars an hour but this money's getting out there and how much of that is the risk appetite of the pe firms versus the the access to the cash that, that fed policy provides well yeah i mean that's exactly it and the thing is is that they've never had anybody tell them you know until really this year when everybody kind of cracked down and they were out, you know, they're sort of out of the options, right? Banks don't, you know, don't want a loan. PE just got burned. Um, you know, maybe, you know, the venture capital guys would have come in. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, that's the thing is that they've never had sort of to kind of control themselves. There was just so much money thrown out, out there and they didn't care what, what interest rate you know, it, it's just, it was just so much excess, right? And so now we're kind of discovering that, you know, things are things got to change because nobody, you know, the money is kind of dried up out there, and they're and they they can't survive anymore. At that, and now we've had, you know, we've been consistently you know, around forty, fifty dollars. So you know, I think they figured out that like, this kind of, you know you know, the, the spot that oil is going to be in for a little bit. Um, you know, my projection is I think we'll see a price spike um, down the road just because of lack of capex, but I don't think things are going to switch over as quickly as everybody thinks. Um, but that's, you know, well within, you know, the next year to two years. But for now, you know, budgets are going to, they're going to have to figure out what to do because really a lot of their break-evens, right, are, um, you know, 
60. Some at, at worst, some of them are 70. So you know, it's throwing cash in the fire. Right. And so again, I want to keep digging on this particularly because I guess what I'm trying to get a better understanding of is when all this, the, the expansion in the shale industry was happening due to access to easy money, where was anybody at the time sort of waving their hands saying, Hey, maybe we don't need these many rigs, these, these many well pads to be drilled. No, that's, the problem. <laughs> that's, that's exactly the problem. And, and, the, and they repeated themselves, right? I mean, they started, they had all this money and they repeated the same exact mistakes after the, that 2014, 2016 oil crash. Because nobody ever said no, <laughs> right? So nobody ever, you know, this is the first, really the first year that I've seen um, pressure to really change. And a lot of that, you know, because there's uh, green pressure, right? You got all this green. So, you know, you have all this ESG pressure um, on oil markets. So you see these changes that, you know, the major shell, but well, shells actually kind of expanded their portfolio over the last few years, but, you know, you study U-turns and uh, BP um, and some of the, you know, the bigger companies, not shale, right? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, nobody ever said no, that's the problem with these guys. Yeah. But where does the buck, so this is a Fed hating podcast, if you couldn't tell already. <laughs> like, how, like, would this have happened if the Fed hadn't unleashed the policies that it did? Oh, probably not. No, because there wouldn't have been so much money flashing around in the system, right? Right. Um. So you know, and I think that's led to a lot, obviously, a lot of problems and a lot of excess in a lot of other um, industries, not just shale, but particularly, um, you know, the shale industry is sort of infamous for that. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, I mean, that's one thing we like to say. It Great American mining is that Bitcoin mining and the oil and gas industry specifically are such a good fit because they both represent ruthless competition um, in, in, in space in spaces that that are really driving humanity forward, whether it be the extraction and delivery of of fuels to to the masses or a digital bearer asset um, in the form of Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually very bullish on the oil and gas industry because I uh, am too. <laughs> because of the, um... I'm literally. This is the first year I turned bullish. Um, this year was is the first year that literally I've been bullish this industry since I started. Really? <laughs> yes. Why? Believe it or not. So, well, uh, you know, because I know I because I've seen you know because this was the year to turn bullish. You know. Because I was looking at what was happening and, you know, what I knew, uh, you know, I mean, even, this was even before in 2019, I had already projected that we were going to have, a, we were going to have a, you know, we were going to have a supply problem, right? Um, like we we're going to have a supply crunch coming down the line. And, you know, my timeline was, it's a little closer now. It was a little bit, I was 23, 24. Uh, but then when, you know, this spring happened, um, again, like I said, kind of moved my timeline up a little bit because, you know, we had uh, 
put a lot of people out of business, put a lot, shut down a lot of production a lot faster than uh, probably normally would have happened. Right. Uh, but so, yeah, so I'm, I'm actually, I'm bullish for literally the very first time, I think since 2009. So, <laughs> um, you know, and I'm very bullish on, you know, oil equities right now, because I mean, if you look across the board, um, you know, I mean, they've gotten a beating for so long, right? And um, usually when you're looking for something in your portfolio to build a portfolio, um, you want to look at stuff that, you know, like 80, 90% off, right? And that kind of fits the bill right there. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of blood in the streets and a lot of people. <laughs> It's, it feels like the oil and gas industry is getting attacked from all angles, whether it be misallocation of capital leading to to bad business plans or just the whole climate crisis, uh, Green New Deal, ESG movement. That's that's right. that's growing. Um, so it's sort of the, the industry, I don't want to say it's backed into a corner, but it's definitely needing to get creative and be resourceful um, to to prevent any narrative blowback in the public absolutely i mean i think this esg thing well you know because I, I don't know if you've looked at some of these EFG, esg funds you know they've got like mastercard in there they've got like there's like some of these etfs that are so full of nothing having to do with esg because really all you had to do was say yeah we're, we're an esg company but you didn't have there's no kind of rule or certification you just said yeah we're esg and they went oh okay we'll put you in this etf we'll wrap you up and here's an esg uh and some of them are just ridiculous um so they just passed a new rule that there's some kind of kind of have to prove something that you're <laughs> um but you know it's still basically unregulated anybody could say they're an esg company and um get thrown in a basket and stuff yeah, it all sounds like a big virtue signal, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> nobody really caring about fixing the environment. Instead, just trying to work the loopholes so it looks like they're fixing the environment. And they benefit financially from it, too. Exactly. That's exactly what's going on right now. Yeah. Well, Not that all of them are like that. No. In case somebody comes after me. But I would say most of them are. <laughs> yeah. And it's... It's a shame too, because it really, I don't want to say dilutes the conversation, but it doesn't allow people to work within a framework that, that's being honest and actually trying to solve problems instead right. of um, instead of just signaling that you care about something and really just care about how people perceive you. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going on a rant here, but... Again, this is this is why I'm bullish on the Bitcoin, or excuse me, on the oil and gas industry uh, in conjunction with Bitcoin is because I think Bitcoin can help solve a lot of these problems, right? Like, and tying it back to capital misallocation, like I think that you, you start there, right? Because you disincentivize, or you, I don't want to say disincentivize, but having a alternative revenue stream in the form of being able to use gas at the well pad that would otherwise be flared or vented to mine Bitcoin creates an alternative revenue stream that maybe incites you to drill less wells. Um, that is uh, cleaning up 
your your waist so you actually look good from an ESG perspective. Right. If you need to check that off your corporate checklist. Um, and so in, t- in terms of creating a revenue stream that not only alternative, but it, it's it's driven by a service that's demanded by the market 24 seven, 365 in the form of Bitcoin transactions are happening at every second of every day. And there's demand right. for those to be mined at every second of every day. So that's completely separated from the, the, the drivers of demand in the oil and gas markets per se. So you always have that backup alternative revenue stream. You've got your oil if you need it, but Hey, maybe you don't drill as many pads anymore. Cause you know, you're going to make money mining Bitcoin and you may, and you may be a little bit more risk averse. Right. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And I think there's a lot, a uh, lot to be there because there, there is a lot of, uh, of waste. Well, especially, you know, not gas just because of, you know, all the flaring and whatnot and that can be harnessed as energy. I mean, you could even essentially, um, you know, if a company needs to use carbon capture, right, um, which they're all looking at right now, trust me, because the environmentalists are, are after them. So all these companies are, are looking into carbon capture technology. And really what you could do is um, use their excess carbon, actually, and to, to turn it into fuel. You could do that cheaply as well and to to turn it into an energy source. Um, So there's a lot of possibilities there. Otherwise, they just carbon capture and they stick it in the ground. Which seems like a, hey, yeah, let's just point this in the ground. No, right? (laughs) They're like, we'll we'll just put it back in. I don't know. I'm like, it does sound out. It sounds like, are we going to blow something up at some point? (laughs) Right. Well, look at all these crazy things we're doing to figure out this problem. It's a big problem. So from your perspective, how big is this waste gas, stranded gas, flared gas problem? I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a big problem. You used to, you know, I mean, you could go drive through Texas and you can see it. You can literally see it. You can see them flaring everywhere. If you would drive through, you know, um, like the Permian basin and it's all the time. It's 24 seven, right? It's not like they just flare a well. And I mean, you can find wells being flared all the time um so you know it's you know it's the quickest you know obviously the quickest way to get rid of it because they're looking for the oil so definitely that's a resource that you know if you can find a use for it and they don't have to flare it right then um that's a win-win situation (laughs) right and then i mean and then I guess we get into the concept, like even pipeline construction. So that's what, what are the alternatives that exist now, right? Like how, how does a producer, particularly when, they, when they're fracking and pulling oil out of the ground, obviously a lot of gas comes out of the ground with that. They try, right. Like what are the options that a producer has at that point with that gas? So with that gas, what they can do is they can use, well, they can flare it. Um, they can use carbon capture technology, which attempts to, you know, capture that and then um, stick it back into the ground. Um, I don't know. Um, and, and that's really your only option at this point. There's not a lot of op- other options. Your other option would be to take that carbon into it and turn it into, um, and turn it into a fuel source, which, um, you know, there are a lot of people, um, you know, trying to do that right now. The, the only one that's been really successful is actually NASA um, that's using that 
like a solar technology. It's these, it's actually really cheap. Um, yeah, and it's these like solar films that collect the, the, the CO2 um, and it oxidizes and turns it into a fuel source. I'm not a NASA scientist, so that's my basic understanding of how it works. <laughs> Um, uh, but that's, uh, that's commercially available as well too. So I'm sure that, you know, companies, you know, it's easier for companies just to keep doing what they're doing. Right. And until somebody says, Hey, you have to change your ways. So that's really why companies haven't really looked into it, um, until, you know, recently when sort of, you know, regulators came down on them. Banks said, we're not going to finance you anymore because, you, you know, you had just this year, you had Goldman, Morgan, um, uh, BlackRock all say, we're not going to, you know, finance, um, you know, oil and gas companies anymore, right? Because they're, you know, we're getting out of the coal industry, um, things of that nature. So, um, so now they're actually forced to, because now they don't have, you know, more, now that money's involved, right? Money's over their head. <laughs> um, now they're going to be forced into looking into these technologies further and being able to invest in them. So um, that's kind of a big thing in the industry right now that's just starting, um, but I think that, that has a lot of room to grow. Um, you know, so if you're an investor, you know, look into some carbon capture technology companies because I think going forward, um, no, that can be a, a good area to, to to investigate. Yeah, and it's it's from the regulatory perspective, it's getting worse. I mean, North Dakota has very strict flaring regulations. It seems like the Railroad Commission in Texas is keen on bringing yep. s- similar restrictions down to. Uh, the Permian and then Alberta obviously has the, the strictest in North America, I believe in terms of yeah. not, not being able to flare or vent at all. Um, so the, the, it seems like the regulatory burden is only going to get heavier from here. Yeah. I mean, I think they're going to get hit from all sides really, you know, you're going to get, you know, the environmentalists, you're going to get the, you know, funding sources, you're going to get the, the regulators within your state. And now with the Biden administration, you know, that we might have federal re- regulations on top of that. So yeah, what are you what are you expecting uh, from a Biden administration? I mean, I think that really, if you look at his uh, track record, his voting track record, he's probably one of the most pro oil and gas of all the Democrats, right? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but there's always a but um and his, his voting record see i mean he voted for bush era uh the regulations and, and and things like that within the industry so um he's voted you know republican oil and gas pro oil and gas his main thing the, the only thing that he's really been against is um you know arctic drilling and in you know alaska refuge area um, so that's his, that's been his big thing since the the seventies. So, but I that doesn't really matter so much. I mean, they just had a they just had an auction and nobody wanted it because nobody wants to be that guy. <laughs> um, uh, but so I think it's pro, pro the thing that that's going to be now that we have kind of a dem sweep, right? I think that 
um, you know, and there's some more progressives in, in the government. So um, I think they'll try to I think they'll try to regulate it um, more. But at the same time, you know, oil and gas provides millions of jobs in the, in, in the U.S. Um, so you kind of have to, you know, uh, watch what, you know, what, what, watch what you're doing. But I don't think that they're going to go crazy and, you know, that the Green New Deal or, you know, whatever the progressives have put forward will, you know, uh, pass in any way, shape or form in, in that matter. Um, but they're not going to ban fracking anytime soon. No, they don't. And, and in fact, they can only uh, ban fracking on federal lands, mm-hmm. right? And uh, companies, you know, all, all the shale companies already anticipated this. I mean, anticipated what would happen if the Biden win. So they pretty much all renewed their leases because once re- their uh, leases are renewed, um, you can't just take them away. Right. The ban could only be for uh, forward going leases from the time that you made the law. Um, so, you know, they already locked in for, you know, the next five, 10 years. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, that, that posturing was very interesting in, in the run up to the election, the ban frack. I mean, it's, I, you know, I mean, to me, it was such a non issue, but I think it's because a lot of people, you know, don't really understand. They're like, yeah, they're going to shut down the whole. No, that's not how it works. It's up to individual states, uh, federal lands, you know, or, you know, federal government. But, you know, that really, uh, really only affects like New Mexico the most. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, why? Because they do more new exploration. They have more federal. Yeah, they have more federal, uh, federally leased lands. That's why. Did you say New Mexico or Mexico, the country? New Mexico. Oh, New Mexico. Uh, yeah. Did we just find a bunch of rare earth metals in New Mexico? Or am I so, yeah, I think so. I think they're, they're supposed to be building some mine there. I don't know um, where they're at within uh, kind of their, their timeline, but they are they are building a mine there. This is so Tracy, this is, this is tying into everything I think about, right? Because Bitcoiners, Bitcoin miners specifically, we're worried about the, the supply chain of the chips that allow us to mine Bitcoin. Very concentrated in East Asia right now, uh, probably between South Korea, Taiwan, China, Malaysia, I believe, in terms of the foundries that, that make the chips that make Bitcoin mining possible. Right. And so we, like, I have this grand 10-year vision for great American mining, not me, the team. The team. Uh, the team we have. A- no, but I think that's good. I mean, right now, look at what's happening in ever since, you know, um, the coronavirus happened. I mean, I mean, you follow me on Twitter. I was harping about supply chains all the time and we started seeing um, supply chain breakdowns, right? And so, and we're still having supply chain breakdowns. We're still having a semiconductor shortage uh, because supply chains are still fractured right now i mean um, india you know just had a bunch of their car companies basically had to you know uh, stop making cars right now um only you know they they only had enough chips for you know one or two of their brands um so and we're seeing that that globally like a chip problem globally even even though korea's south korea's exports are way up they still can't to fill all the orders because we're still having supply chain problems that's already back. So, you know, if we, 
you know, sort of bring back some of that to the U.S. I think that would be, you know, or to North America. Um, I think that would be a very smart thing to do. Right. So not only secure that supply chain. So here's the great American mining 10 to 20 year vision. Okay. Tell me. <laughs> Let me know if you think this is crazy earnestly. All right. It might be crazy. But due to, the, due to the growing <laughs> waste gas problem, flare gas problem in the oil and gas industry and the financial situation that the industry is in right now due to a misallocation of capital over the last decade, they're going to turn to Bitcoin mining because, number one, it's profitable. And number two, they, they need to do something. So use this this Bitcoin mining vehicle to to develop a revenue stream that eliminates your waste, makes you more profitable, um, which overall makes you more resilient and less susceptible to the OPEC plus supply fuckeries that went are, went on last year. So you you sort of create. We already have energy independence uh, to a degree, but we don't have that that independence from the whims of the Saudis and the Russians. So if we're able to use the waste gas to mine Bitcoin to solidify the balance sheets. We really don't need to worry about that as much anymore. And on top of that, so that's going to be, we have at Great American Mining, we've run the numbers, we've back-tested the data of how profitable mining Bitcoin with with waste gas is. Um, and it, it's compared to Henry Hub prices right now, I believe you're going you're gonna to get something like five or 10, five or, excuse me, seven X, uh, Henry Hub prices per per MMBTU, um, which is pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. Um, so that's going to be a profit driver, solidify the balance sheet. Then these producers are going to look and say, hey, we have all this infrastructure. Um, we have all this capital invested in this Bitcoin mining infrastructure. And hey, guess what? The computers are, are made in other parts of the world that uh we don't like that we don't like that risk so they lobby to to mine the rare earth metals in new mexico and take them to the foundry being built in arizona and start building bitcoin mining chips particularly and other types of chips on u.s soil so there's this natural most beautifully about it all it's a natural profit-driven incentive to to make supply chains more robust and multiple industries more robust and, and this situation the oil and gas industry and the the computing industry i like it i mean I, you know i'm all for i have been all for you know, kind of bringing back uh supply chain here and not having to be so dependent on china especially for rare earth um you know um we kind of you, you know you have africa um but again you know if it's available here you know if you could do it here or canada you could do it in north america um or Mexico even, um, you know, that's, that's all the better. Yeah. And, and, and even if somebody wants to take the conversation to, it's like, like how profitable that can be building this stuff over here. I think again, like we've mentioned the, the vulnerability of the supply chains has been laid bare over the last 12 months has really highlighted the fact, Hey, we, we may need to pay up too. Right. to get these goods and have them distributed like me like in and couple that with the fact that Triffin dilemma Triffin's dilemma seems to have been pretty accurate and have played its course like the the product of of 
outsourcing your manufacturing and flooding right. the world with dollars in the process to, res to retain reserve currency of the world is not advantageous in the long run. Right. Well, exactly. Because, you know, you've turned into a consumer economy versus a manufacturing economy. So you're not a productive economy anymore. And so, you know, that's, I think, in the long run, you have to find some balance because that's unsustainable um, over the long haul, in, in my opinion. Um, so, um, yeah. And I, I mean, and if you think, and I was just thinking about this, um, you know, I, I mean, even look at the, the shipping industry right now, you know, the, the supply issues we're having with shipping, how expensive it is to ship right now. I mean, shipping rates are insane and they're having, we're having all sorts of backup problems and everything like that. So bringing it back home, you know, is still, you know, when problems like this come up, you don't you don't have to worry about it so i do think it's economical if you take away you know shipping rates having to depend on you know uh, time to get it to, from you know china to the us for example um we've had container shortages this year i mean if this year has taught us anything that everything that could go wrong went wrong this year <laughs> pretty much right so um you, you know, it's, I mean, it's time for us to really get serious and um, bring some manufacturing back to, to the U.S. and bring some mining back to the U.S. Some Bitcoin mining. Bitcoin mining, yes. <laughs> no, and rare, no, and rare metal mining. <laughs> and rare. Computers. Yes. Uh, the, no, it's, and again, going back to the fact that, I, oh, I love Bitcoin in this particular case and, Maybe before we jump in, or after I say this, we should jump into your thoughts on Bitcoin. But I love Bitcoin in this particular case because it provides a free market incentive to drive these changes. We're not waiting on the government to to step in and sort of lead the way. And the market's creating this incentive. There's this arbitrage between the low cost of the gas, the waste gas provides Bitcoin miners to mine Bitcoin very cheaply. Um, and and the need for the oil and gas industry to solve that waste gas problem. So the arbitrage that exists there is just a, a natural occurrence in the market that people seem to be taking care of at the moment. Um, so to me, it's like it's beautiful that the free market is just purely incentivized by profit to fix this problem. But we got to get your thoughts on Bitcoin. I know we've been talking about <laughs> it, and I've been talking to the audience. Um, with them not having the knowledge that we had a full conversation last night. So. <laughs> it was like, I don't really know a lot about, I don't know. I know this is terrible. I'm on a Bitcoin show and I know little about Bitcoin. Well, but, I, don't, I don't wonder how much but, you know. I want to know what you think. Um, No, I mean, I think that, you know, I think that it's great just because it's kind of, um, it's kind of an everything vehicle, right? It's like, um, it's like, it entails so much, right? Like it entails like it's a financial thing, um, it's a psychological thing, it's you know cryptography, it's you know computer science and engineering. I mean, there's so much that like encompasses this one asset, right? Um, so I think it's you know I, I think on in that respect, um, you know, and it's decentralized, obviously. Uh, of that nature. I mean, how I kind of look at 
um, digital assets is more um, from the oil and gas perspective. Like, how can you know? How can we use um, like digital bearer bonds or you know digital um, bearer assets uh, rather than you know like you get a, like in the futures world, right? Um, so you get um, it's kind of what I like what Abex is doing. Um, you know, if you take delivery of you know oil or gold, whatever, um, you get a warehouse receipt, which is basically you know a piece of paper they literally FedEx to you, right? <laughs> uh, and, and that's your and that's and if you lose it, you're screwed. You don't get your you know that's it. That's all you got is this, this piece of paper. Right. So if you turn that into and, and those warehouse receipts are called uh, bearer assets. Um, so you can literally exchange that piece of paper um, for the gold or you could exchange or you can use that piece of paper as collateral. And you can put that piece of paper up for collateral at a bank if you wanted to get a bank loan, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, the easier, the more efficient, better a way to do that is turn that into like a digital bearer asset, right? Um, which is um, kind of what Abex is, is doing and they're, you know, using Ethereum to sort of tokenize that, right? And then there's your, there's your token. And then what you can do is, well, you get it immediately, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, is a, which is a good thing. You're less likely to lose it and it's also traceable. So it's, you know, I you know, I could get a, I could get that, you know, piece of paper, that warehouse receipt and go to five banks to get a loan against it. And who, who would know that I went to five different banks and was like over leveraged and that, and that kind of cuts out any kind of, you know, it's more transparent that way because you would, you know, if you went to the second bank, they would already know immediately that you already went to another bank. It kind of cuts out a lot of the problems um, that, you know, kind of are with this analog archaic system that we're currently using. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the big innovation Bitcoin solved, right? It's the digital bearer asset that you truly possess. And yeah, no, I think it'll be interesting to see how that world of tokenization, particularly security tokenization and asset tokenization comes to be. I mean, it'll... um, I'm more skeptical about that coming to market in the next decade. I know, I know Josh at Abex and what he's been building is, is huge for, for like settlement and massive, but like mainstream stuff. Um, It'll be interesting, especially building like on Ethereum right now. Again, I'm just like thinking out loud here. Um, I mean, I think that eventually you'll be able to do that without Ethereum. I just haven't totally figured out a way yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eventually, I imagine it would be anchored to Bitcoin in some way, like with some cooler color. Yeah. There's going to be a better way to, to do that. I yeah. mean, I think there'll be a better, a more efficient way, but I, you know, at, at this juncture, it's kind of, you know, the yeah. best option. And, and just to kind of get that, that whole system kind of going. Right. Yeah. No, but in terms of, just Bitcoin alone, the, the innovation it provides the settlement and clearinghouse markets, just being able to settle 24 7, 365. In five seconds, but not even five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. 
yeah, with the technologies like second layers, like the Lightning Network being built, you can do it instantaneously in some cases, which is insane. Like Jack Mahler's the podcast. Yeah, I, I know you told me you listened to that. I um, listened to that one. How, that dude has so much passion. Afterwards, I was like, yeah, pick one. Right. <laughs> oh my god, I was like, this kid's got, he's got it, man. He's got yeah. it, but it's yeah. infectious. <laughs> really is and it's hard it's hard not to get jacked up after speaking to jack and yeah, again pushing the edges of innovating around this this i don't want to say archaic but something that's been around for some time which is the settlement of assets around the world within the global financial system there's a new rail yeah. to do that which is i mean insane. really they had nothing's really changed in like 40 50 years right i mean it's the same even though you know we've gone from analog systems to you know computer system to you know some sort of digital system the basic function has not changed or evolved you've just turned what you used to do uh, in, in an analog way now to uh, you're doing it on a you know digitally through a computer it's just like what we were talking before where you had you know traders doing hand signals and then it's the same exact process it's just computerized now but there's not there hasn't been any real um, sort of innovation to do to flip the system on its head and do it better, do it differently, do it you know have it decentralized, have it you know. So that's kind of where I find you know um, this you know Bitcoin and, and this whole thing. That's where I find it just really exciting. Yeah, the fact that it's open source technology and you don't have to ask permission, you just go out and build stuff that's better and right. bring it to the market and say, hey, it's hard to deny this is better. You should be right. using it. <laughs> uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah but, but in terms of like, so just curious, like your thoughts on Bitcoin, the asset as a sound monetary good? I mean, I, I, I you know, I have. I like, I think it's a good idea. I mean, I think it's, you know, I think everybody should own, um, you know, a little bit, um, you know, uh, I run like an oil and gas portfolio, but, you know, I had, um, you know, the family office that I you know, work with, you know, I had them buy Bitcoin a while ago. Um, I, you know, I have some myself, but I mean, you know, I'm out there telling uh, bigger, bigger, bigger funds than me. <laughs> um, you know, that, that I think it's that, that it's a good idea. I mean, you know, I, I was kind of skeptical at first, you know, just kind of like everyone was, everyone does, but you know, the more I read on it, and, you know, um, I think the more that, that it's accepted um, and things of that nature just is going to, uh, make it stronger. And it's really, I think, more just about, uh, you know, educating people on it, you know. So, you know, if you ask, and if you're on Twitter, guys, people ask questions. Don't be mean. Answer the question. You got to be careful. The Bitcoin Twitter swarm. <laughs> Leaves, <laughs> it's, not, it's not shy. I guess we could put it that way. Right. Uh, um. But no, absolutely, I'm all for it. You know, like I said, I you know I you know told people about it. I, I'm you know super excited about yeah, everything that that that's happening uh, around it too. All the peripheral stuff that's 
that's happening. Yeah, no, that's sort of how I wanted to frame the question. Like, how do you view Bitcoin in the in the context of what's going on with the central banks around the world and, and all the oh. money printing? And like, what are your thoughts on, Ooh, I on, mean, on the monetary situation um, in the world? Right <laughs> I think, well, I think it's a shit show, to be honest. But we already know that, right? Um, but, you know, I, I think what is, you know, besides all this money printing and, you know, we have inflated assets and, uh, and things of that nature, you know, all the problems. The, the thing I'm more concerned about, actually, at this point is the uh, CBDC, the, the digital currency, mm-hmm. um, just because I think you, I think you want to stay as far away from that as possible <laughs> um, and i think if you know if they one day and they if they one day decide forget it we're not going to have paper money anymore which you know probably would take a very long time but just for if they do right and they only have the central bank digital currency you would thank god that you had something else <laughs> right because right. you know i mean talk about, it's a centralized digital currency that basically they can turn off if they want. I'm sorry, we don't, you know, you broke the law, we're turning you off. <laughs> you had some wrong think on the internet today, you can't spend your money for 12 hours. Right, exactly. I know yeah. it sounds far-fetched, but look at the the pace things are headed. I don't see that. You know, you know China's going to do it, right? For sure. China's already doing it to an extent. I mean, yeah. they have their social credit system and they bar people from WePay and Alipay right. I all mean, the time. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, I, mean, I think everybody should, you're going to need an alternative, uh, alternative to, to that, you know, unless you want to rely on um, the unelected Fed. <laughs> yeah, you got Ken Rogoff pushing this hard already. He's written a book trying to push us to these digital currencies. I don't think he mentioned CBDCs back then because the concept didn't exist. But yeah, the normalization process is well underway to to normalize negative interest rate policies in a cashless society i know which just scares the hell out of me to be honest it should not i mean not, it should scare you freaks too but we like to stay optimistic here at tftc i i, <laughs> I think the uh i think the prospect of C, cbdc's actually gaining any market traction in a world in which bitcoin exists is very low that's, well, yeah. unless way. unless they make you take it right unless they're you know could you not you know unless they make you take it <laughs> unless that's the only way that you can get money but you know which is you know for for the most part a lot of people i mean you know bitcoin even though it's been around for you know 10 years or whatever you know it's still in its infancy stage right i mean there's still a lot of people that aren't really allocated no you, you got to get in freaks yeah more, more people will come they'll come oh for sure um no but it is a wearing prospect do we get the chinese surveillance state exported to the rest of the world and it seems like our government That's overlords I mean. would like that i actually at this point it does which a little bit i know that sounds a little paranoid but you know i mean just look at things, how things are going, right? Yeah, I don't think it's paranoid. I think you're just being observant. Just be aware. That's all I have to say. Just be very aware of what they're doing. That's right? one of our. It's one of our taglines here. Be aware, <laughs> freaks. Be aware. This stuff is out there. Right. And it, and it is. Uh, 
it's fucked up, right? Like it's, it's Fed bash here for a little bit. Not only does their monetary policy on the front end, like on, on the on the actual interaction with the markets, like overtly screw you over because they're distorting the price mechanism, the pricing okay. mechanism of the world with their interest rate policies and decision to expand to contract the monetary supply. And then on top of that, they want to cattle herd you into this digital world in which they have complete control, tax you immediately. Exactly. Tell you where you can and spend, can and can't spend your money. Hey, guess what? You got to support the soy farmers. You can only buy X amount of goods. and You can only buy this. Well, by the way, your paycheck has to be spent within four weeks. We take the rest. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's an extreme example, but... Hey, this is efficient. This is efficient money management at the hands of our of our government overlords. Right, and if you I, if you see how efficient the government is, then that should scare you. <laughs> right. That's another thing that gives me very, very great amount of optimism about the future is the fact that uh, confidence in our government institutions is at all time lows, as it should be. Um, I like to have a a view of the future in which things don't like go to shit and people just boringly are like, all right, this doesn't work anymore. Let's just start focusing on Bitcoin and other stuff and, and walk away from the clown show of the clown world. Well, I, you know, we gotta, I don't know, start by voting these people out. Or how old is Nancy Pelosi? She's old as fuck. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't need vote by building out Bitcoin and make them obsolete. Well, okay, and that's how you do it. Yes, <laughs> no, I'm not. I mean, but in the meantime, I mean, realistically, you know, we gotta we gotta do something like, you know, we have to do something. We hey, we, Trump Trump came to drain the swamp. But that doesn't seem to have happened. Yeah, there's no. I mean, they're all bad. <laughs> yeah, no, they're all terrible. That's what it's. I mean, I've become completely disenfranchised from participating in that. This is like, hey, WikiLeaks proved in 2016 that the DNC really didn't attempt to um, to respect uh, the will of the, the American citizens, particularly in the Democratic primary. So even if you do participate and try to vote these people out, there's evidence in the past that they don't really give a fuck and they're going to do what they want. Yeah. So, True, but I'm not giving up hope on people. <laughs> no, that's yeah. you know, Bitcoin is hope. We can. That's the other, the other thing with this being a digital bear asset. Bitcoin right. demands extreme ownership and extreme responsibility over your own domain, particularly your your digital bear asset, right? Which begins to emanate in other areas of life. Like, why should I be begging these politicians to fix my life? Why can't I just build? better life for myself and i think bitcoin the open source project really personifies that and and allows an individual with that type of thinking to to bring that reality to fruition if they if they please yeah absolutely i mean that's what you know jack was saying um, and that i was like wow i didn't really look at it from that angle before because i'm you know i look at everything very financially generally yeah it's good tracy you want to hear my craziest theory about yes bitcoin the oil and gas not craziest but yeah i want to hear it come on I think, so <laughs> in great america mind we think oil and gas producers are going to be some of the 
the largest Bitcoin miners in the world, just because of, again, the, the pure incentives that, that the arbitrage opportunity is presenting itself right now. Right. And energy producers at large, so hydroelectric producers, people with huge wind and solar farms, uh, geothermal, all these energy producers become, are going to become the biggest Bitcoin miners in the world. And then ipso facto, these energy producers become the new central banks of the world where you replace the Fed window and the access to the production and uh, divvying of capital from the Fed window, which primary members only have access to now, to these energy producers mining Bitcoin, which becomes you know, the mining pool level would become the new Fed window, if you will, and people will access capital via these Bitcoin mining pools and will shift from these these suited, stuffy central bankers in cities around the U.S. to uh, a central banking system run by the energy sector that finally brings uh, Henry Ford and Buckminster Fuller's visions of a currency backed by energy to fruition. Oh, my God. I love it. I love it. I'm sold. Seriously, I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's going to happen. I, I like it. I love it so much. Well, you know, I mean, mining, obviously, oil and gas is kind of my, my thing. My, you know, some of the industry that I, that I really, um, uh, you know, that I focus on and that's sort of my, my drive. So, um, yeah, I love it. But oil and gas companies rule the world. That Wouldn't that be a twist? I would love it. <laughs> it would make sense too. Yeah. Why not? I love it. Not right. I mean, yeah. Well, that's the other beauty beauty of the Bitcoin network too. It'd be very distributed. So it wouldn't only be oil and gas companies, it'd be, it'd be. renewable energy producers as oh, well. Oh, sure. But then you'd also but, have like it, I don't want to say it'd be fractured, but it'd be much more distributed in terms right. of distri decision makers and stakeholders which makes the likelihood of actually changing the monetary system uh, decrease significantly, which is what you want in Bitcoin. You just want to make sure the $21 million supply cap is is respected. Uh, um, but in terms of building financial services on top of Bitcoin mining companies, because they're the first to access the capital right. in the Bitcoin network, which is the token, um, be some really cool stuff. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Am, am I just crazy? Am I <laughs> no, no, no? Like crazy uncle? I think it's not. Now you got my. Now I'm going to be thinking about this all night long. See, because now you got the wheels turning. Oh, so, that's good. Yeah. What um? Like, what worries you most about Bitcoin? So um, you know, I that I haven't learned enough. <laughs> to be honest. Um, the only thing that, you know, well, that besides my own, you know, I, I do definitely need to, uh, I definitely need to, I'm behind the eight ball for sure. Um, but, um, you know, the only thing that I worry about is, you know, will, you know, can the government shut it down or regulate it out in some way? And I don't know the answer to that. Um, because I, I don't know Bitcoin well enough. I think they're certainly going to try. They are oh, for trying. Sure. They are. They are. I was going to say they already are. You know, you just had that. Um, but UK regular regulators just came down. Um, so you know, I, I know that no, it'll probably 
only you know a matter of time when you know if these central banks start these you know CBDCs, um, you know that's when they're really gonna try to because it's a direct threat to or that what they perceive as a direct threat to um, their currency. Yeah, and I mean they're they're gonna throw the the book at Bitcoin. It's hard the narrative of the alt right domestic terrorists beginning to turn to Bitcoin as their currency of choice is starting to proliferate. Um, so I think it'll definitely get labeled a a domestic terrorist currency at some point oh, here in the next yeah. six months, which will be interesting. And then, yeah, so I think I wrote about this yesterday in my newsletter. Like, I think the potential for a great mass unplugging or attempted unplugging of Bitcoin is is on the the board as a possibility. I think the, the government goes to Amazon, Apple, and says, hey, do what you did to Parler, but to all the apps that give people access to Bitcoin. Um, right. Which would be a big test, and it'll, it'll be particularly AWS unplugging anything Bitcoin-related or not allowing anything Bitcoin-related to happen, because then we'll see how many individuals are actually running the network on hardware that they possess. And if it survives that, then it proves that number one, the government can't shut it down. It's probably secure and robust enough for mass adoption. Right. So these may be necessary hurdles to overcome, but they will certainly be. That's a good way to look at it. Actually necessary hurdle. I like it. Yeah. Um, because you know, I mean, and the thing is, is that people know that it's likely to come. I mean, it's not like um, they're unaware, right? So you have all these people saying that they're just going to shut it down. It's not like you know, um, you know, people don't, you know, Bitcoiners don't already know that, right? So, yeah. um, you know, I think if, if you know the community is kind of prepared for that, kind of looking at alternative ways to circumvent um, those situations and any kind of regulation that would come down, um, then it's, you know, very survivable. And that's another selfish reason. Not selfish. It's not the only reason, but it actually works out in our favor at Great American Mining in the long run, and Bitcoin's favor in the long run is getting these oil and gas producers tied into this and invested into this more importantly because it's a very strong lobby you have there on Capitol Hill defending oh, the, yeah. the oil and gas industry and if if Bitcoin mining were to become a significant uh, capital outlay for the industry at large, I think it just They would definitely have something to say about it. <laughs> exactly. Um, so there's these weird Bitcoin entering the geopolitical world is very interesting because as somebody who considers himself anti-statist and really doesn't like to participate in it, I do find joy in seeing uh, individuals like Cynthia Lummis uh, attain uh, a senatorship to, to defend Bitcoin on the Hill, um, using vehicles like lobbying to, to defend Bitcoin. I think a lot of Bitcoiners are finding out, particularly this year, as the uh, narratives around Bitcoin emanating from the Treasury specifically begin to get more hard line that we may need to play ball within the system to a certain extent. Yeah. I mean, you know, it is what it, if, if they're going to try to bring rules and regulations so that you, you know, you're going to have to find creative ways uh, to be prepared for that. Right. 
screen. Uh, Tracy, am I boring you now at this point? I'm just like, no, <laughs> no. I like this one. This uh, I like this whole um, I, soil and the soil and gas uh, Bitcoin mining thing is really cool. Yeah, imagine if Bitcoin mining it would compete with midstream providers at at, at some point, or if you really think about it. Yeah. Like, should I pipe this gas to the midstream provider and get get the markup? It'll add value to itself to market. I'll get the royalties, or particularly in the context of a mineral rights owner, right. um, or I just take this gas and mine Bitcoin myself, take the midstream company out of it. Which is uh, that's the other thing in terms of creating a price floor for natural gas markets. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. And then also, you know, it really, you know, it helps the market as a whole, right. Um, in general, because you would definitely have a floor under the price. Um, you know, I mean, you saw, you know, Waha this year twice went negative, negative, <laughs> which is pretty ridiculous. Um, you know, it, I mean, obviously, crude did too, but you know that's the first time for crude. It's not the first time for for that gas, and that just shouldn't be. That just shouldn't be. <laughs> no, no. As a species, it's something we should be embarrassed about. Look at all this wasted potential energy. That's exactly. Exactly. Literally being set on fire and sent to the atmosphere, or just sent to the atmosphere. Um, exactly. So, uh, from a narrative perspective, too, like, hey, Bitcoin mining replacing pipelines that would otherwise have been built, maybe not have been as profitable and certainly would have been, uh, I don't want to say bad for the environment, but it would have annoyed people that those pipelines were getting built. So, I mean, I think it, you know, it just makes it, it forces people to be more efficient too, which is kind of, you know, we need some sort of that um, in the industry right now like some sort of impulse control, <laughs> right, um, you know, okay. some sort, sort of like, you know, uh, you know, being capital efficient. <laughs> right. And that's the metric we were starting to hone in on at Great American Mining is the energy intensity index and how Bitcoin helps lower that. Right. Because I think, because we're pretty sure the flared gas is counted in that that ratio. I could be wrong. I'm sure my engineer reads listening to this and screaming in the background. But <laughs> um, in terms of uh, being as much efficient from a joule consumed to GDP ratio, right? I mean, this certainly helps because miners. Or mining for Bitcoin, which adds to the bottom line, the GDP. Bitcoin miners do pay taxes at the end of the day, freaks. So, um, so there you go. It's a win-win situation. I like it. Yeah. Well, Tracy. Yeah. Is there anything about like oil markets I should be asking about that I didn't ask about? Yet? No. Um, no, I don't know. You know. Um, I, I mean, I think we covered a lot. Uh, really, I mean. Um, let, let's just see again, you know, look for, you know, uh, you know, prices are going to spike here because, um, you know, within the next year now, um, it's because of the shock of demand. For... We're, yeah. We're going to have a supply shock because the thing is, is that we're not going to, it, it, 
everybody has this time frame, right? On, you know, oh, we're going to be green tomorrow. You know, let's not forget, like, the solar uh, industry started in the 70s, right? Everything takes up way longer than you think it's going to happen. You know, we kind of always say, if you think that, you know, um, you know, electric cars are going to take over in 10 years, add 15 to it. <laughs> because that's just how long that things take and sometimes longer and new transitions, not that easy, even if you have a whole world um, wanting to do it. So, um, you know, oil and gas isn't going to go away anytime soon. I mean, it's in literally, you can't make it through one day without one without using at least one product that has, you know, uh, that has petroleum in it. I guess unless you're living in a bamboo hut. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but the rest of us, <laughs> you that use computers and brush our teeth and things, um, <laughs> uh, you know, use products. So that demand's not going away anytime soon. And, you know, as soon as, you know, the, the economy starts, economy start, uh, opening up again and things like that, Demand's going to come back a lot sooner, and we're going to have uh, we're going to have a supply problem, a big supply problem. Yeah, you should tell California this. They're going in the wrong direction. They are. <laughs> uh, um, well, they have roll. I mean, they have rolling blackouts or whatever. Look, the UK is having pro the same problems too because their wind farms. You know, they, they had no wind, and they're you know overloaded during the winter because it's cold right now. Um, you know, so. You kind of have to think, you know, yeah, it, California's grid was ridiculously mismanaged. And, uh, but they just, didn't they just decide to shut down other gas yes. um, facility in LA County or something? Yes, because they're smart. Um, <laughs> no, um, I mean, they're ridiculous because they don't have a plan. They didn't think this through and they don't have a plan, right? And they're trying to actually, um, what I found interesting is just this last week, Sonoma County reversed their decision not to have natural gas in uh, new building construction. Um, so I think that um, I think that that you know maybe people are kind of waking up over there and thinking hmm, it might not be nice to have power. <laughs> yeah, small concession that all right, even though we want to be all granola up here, we do have to deal in reality. Which right. Is <laughs> these renewables are not there yet they should get there yeah it's just not right here it's just and, not now and bitcoin does fix this too because bitcoin <laughs> goes to these stranded <laughs> renewable sources and consumes it thereby driving innovation around them I mean, if you're going to be tinkering with them more consuming them more hopefully uh, something innovative will come out of it better there bullish on, on bitcoin helping to innovate the whole energy sector from fossil fuels to renewables um, I had another oil focus question, but I can't think about it right now. I can't think about it. Okay. it. I'll have to discuss it at some other time. Um, yeah. I don't want to take up too much of your day. I know we're almost an hour and 20 minutes in, potentially, potentially yeah. more. Um, <laughs> but thank you for joining my crazy Bitcoin podcast and answering my questions about the oil and gas world. Yeah, absolutely. It was, I mean, it's cool. It's a pleasure. I mean, I don't know that, that I remember that night on Twitter, like, you know, you want to come on my podcast? He was like, yeah. Everyone yeah. was like, what? <laughs> I'm sorry about Bitcoin Twitter coming after you there. That's what I had to step in and say, hey, freak, stop, stop pounding Tracy. We'll have a talk on the podcast. No, it'll be, 
yeah, again, Bitcoin Twitter is is really um, vicious, if you will. Very uh, very protective of Bitcoin. That's the interesting thing about Bitcoin, the network. It has the social layer to it as well. It's not protected by an HR department or uh, a, a uh, PR department. It's got right. individual users. But it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Bitcoin just works. You can advocate for it or not. It's going to do what it does. Um, yeah, it's the beauty myself. of it. Yeah. So that's cool. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm good. I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, more of your podcast and uh, learning some more. I'll be calling you. What does this mean? <laughs> I told you last night. Uh, the, the avenues of communication are wide open. If you have any questions, please do not hesitate to reach out. Fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I will continue to annoy you about oil and gas markets as well. Deal. <laughs> you can call anytime. All right. All right. We already we already mentioned that we can find you on Twitter at Chai Girls or anywhere yeah. else. Um, you'd like to send the freaks any information? Yeah. Well, I'm on Hedge Fund Telemetry, right? I'm a materials and uh, energy strategist there. So I don't know. There's You can sign up for like a two-week trial or whatever if you just want to kind of check out what i do go check it out again freaks tracy's an og on my economics and finance list on twitter has been there for years i feel like i've uh been, <laughs> been getting quality information for you for for most of my adult life now which is weird to think oh. um but thank you for that and yeah. thank you for again not only coming on here to answer my potentially dumb question about the oil and gas markets, but listening to my definitely dumb rants about Bitcoin. No, I love it. Markets. <laughs> love it. And thank you for having me on. I had a good time. Yeah. We'll have to do this again at some point when, uh, when something big happens in the oil markets or we can just have a retrospective on how Bitcoin mining took over the, the oil and gas sector. Absolutely. Right. Well, Tracy, <laughs> I hope you have um, a great night. Thank you for joining. All right. Thank you. Peace and love freaks.